gentlemen all around the world. This is All Things Basketball. It's the first day, officially playoff day. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and I'm ready to talk about breaking down. This is the first of two pods, so this is part one of the Western Conference, obviously. So scheduled for today before we start anything, game one today is at one o'clock Eastern time, Nets versus Sixers at Philadelphia. Uh, the next game, obviously, is at 3.30 p.m., Hawks Celtics at Boston. 6 p.m. is the following game, Knicks versus Cavaliers. This is at Cleveland. And then it's the highly anticipated Warriors-Kings matchup, which is at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time at Sacramento. It's going to be very interesting, but I'm going to get into the Western Conference breakdown, like I said, and then part two will be the Eastern Conference breakdown. Now, these breakdowns are for the first rounds, okay? I'll probably give my pick to win the conference, throughout this West episode, and then I'll give my pick to win the Eastern Conference on the East episode. So let's get right into it. So on the Western Conference, we have the Denver Nuggets versus the Minnesota Timberwolves, which I was hoping it was going to be the Denver Nuggets versus OKC. Unfortunately, OKC was outmatched, just a little too young at this point in time compared to, you know, Minnesota Timberwolves out there, you know, making those moves to win now. Obviously, they trade for Rudy Gobert, you know, and the season not, I mean, did not go as expected by any means. Uh, They're the eighth seed now. They're going to face the Nuggets. Like I said, I am not going to go deep into this series because that would be a waste of your time, a waste of my time, a waste of everyone's time. Uh, The Nuggets are going to win this series. I don't care, you know, how good the Timberwolves play, you know, how bad of a game the Nuggets will play throughout the series. I don't think that the Timberwolves have a chance in this game. I think it's... Nuggets in five, right? At best, you know, you get a hot game from Anthony Edwards. You know, maybe you get another hot game from Carl Anthony Towns. At best, I would say maybe uh, two games for Minnesota. Okay, now if you're going to make me pick, you know, gun to my head, I'm going to say Nuggets in five. Okay, I just think that, you know, Rudy Gobert is going to have his hands full with Nikola Jokic. Um, I think that the perimeter shooting is far better for the Denver Nuggets, and that's just going to be that, you know. I mean, the Nuggets are the far better team. They should not lose this game if they or this series. They should not lose this series. If they lose this series, it's the ultimate disappointment of all time, and you'll never hear the end of it from the Jokic haters. But I want to move on to a deeper dive on a series. Grizzlies versus the Lakers, okay? One of the trendiest first-round series, for obvious reasons, is this one right here. Okay, if you guys remember the whole Shannon Sharp show on the sidelines with Dylan Brooks, and you also heard uh, Draymond Green on his podcast predicting the Lakers to beat the Grizzlies, which is super smart by him because he's sticking it to Dylan Brooks, but he's also lighting a fire under Memphis to give the Lakers everything they got. You know, so it's a great strategy by him, whether he truly believes his prediction or not. Because it creates this war zone, right? That'll no doubt test and tire out both of these teams that are going head-to-head in this series. So the Lakers have, they've been one of the hardest teams to bet on this season, night to night, because of how easily they disappoint you, okay? Games that they're supposed to win, they lose, or win by some miraculous comeback, and it's a tight win. Games they're predicted to lose, they win, right? Or they keep it close and lose by a tight margin. It's like, it's the ultimate 50-50 playoff team 
in terms of where fans sit on the side of the fence. If you're a diehard Laker fan, you know that you have the belief that the Lakers are going to make the finals because of size advantage and you have LeBron on your team and, you know, yada, 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 whatever. There's fans that believe they're a first round out. You know, that's the other side of the fence. Um, You know, fans that just say, you know, they're pretenders. And both fans are reasonable with their beliefs, in my opinion, right? And as a Laker fan myself, but more importantly, as an NBA fan, in a playoff series, we all know it comes down to matchups, okay? And they played each other three times this season, okay? The Lakers won two out of the three matchups, but the first game they won was before the big trade moves, so I didn't bother giving that one a watch, okay? February 28th was their second matchup after the Lakers changed up their roster. So side note for this one, no LeBron on this February 28th matchup, but Jaw went crazy, okay, which is what everyone expects Jaw to do in this series. 39, 10, and 10. You know, this one was close all the way through. Either way, you know, until the last few minutes of the game where the Lakers just went cold. They just couldn't score, um, and they couldn't stop the Grizzlies from scoring either. But it was a great sign for a, a Laker team without LeBron to nearly beat a full-strength Grizzlies roster without Steven Adams, which is what's going to be the matchup in this series. There won't be a Steven Adams, and there won't be a Brandon Clark. Memphis shot 19% from three in that game. Okay, so the Lakers did a great job of defending, but also the Memphis Grizzlies aren't a great three-point shooting team as it is. So, you know, Anthony Davis showed up in that game. He had 28-19 and in a game of his own. Much needed, of course, because of the circumstances, right? No LeBron. It was a great chance for the Lakers to blossom as well, right? With more responsibilities, even if it was in a loss. Uh, Their most recent matchup was March 7th, but there was no LeBron. There was no John Morant, and there was no Steven Adams. Anthony Davis explodes in this game for 30 and 22, okay? As expected, you know, there's virtually nobody down there to contest him. You know, Triple J, Obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr. had a good game of his own with 26 points in a game where he's expected to step up for the lack of help as well. You know, but after unfortunately watching mixed versions of these two teams play each other, I can give you this. Okay, Anthony Davis averaging against the uh, the, the Memphis Grizzlies, he's averaging 29, 20, and three and a half blocks. Okay, now that's obviously a two-game sample size, but it lets you know, you know, this is a great sign for the Lakers, um, if you're hopeful for them. John Moran, on the other hand, 30 points, 9 assists, six and a half rebounds over the two games that he played against the Lakers. LeBron only had one game against the Memphis Grizzlies, and it was the pre-trade version of the Lakers. But besides struggling to shoot from three, he looks pretty comfortable in this matchup. Uh, so, you know, let me go to the team-to-team comparison, right? Um, both teams are in the bottom 10 in three-point percentage, which is good news for the Lakers, because it means they're going to have the paint advantage going into this game, right? We know that, right? No Steven Adams. Triple J, who we know has trouble with fouls, is going to be under a ton of pressure with aggressive versions of LeBron and Anthony Davis. And if the Lakers can successfully take him out of games or basically force Jaron Jackson Jr.'s hand, right, and, and just make him just allow baskets by not fouling, Memphis's only calling card is going to be Uh, making the Lakers turn the ball over, right? Turning those turnovers into points and maybe getting into a three-point shootout with the Lakers, right? Who are also streaky in that department, right? Neither team is a good three-point shooting team. So, so, you know, you could throw it, you could throw, roll the dice, you know, and get into a three-point shootout with them. You know, I don't know who I would trust more. Both teams are just as likely 
uh, according to their own stats, of, of either getting hot or getting cold, right? So, you know, Jaw's going to be Jaw, right? So that's a good thing for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's going to get where he wants at all times. The Grizzlies need Triple J to stay out of foul trouble, right? And be efficient offensively. Desmond Bain has to be knocking down shots because if the Grizzlies go cold from three, which they often do, the Lakers are going to get easy baskets throughout the game at the rim, right? With AD and LeBron, assuming that LeBron and Anthony Davis are doing what they're supposed to do, okay? I don't want to see a, a, a series where Anthony Davis is, is shooting jumper after jumper after jumper. LeBron is chucking up threes. That is not what they need to do to win this series, unless they're obviously making those shots. But they need to be attacking the rim, okay? They're going to have a massive advantage in the paint. So the key to the Lakers winning this series is very simple. You know, like I said, LeBron and AD need to be aggressive getting to the rim. The rest of the team has to defend the three-point line. You turn this into a two-point battle, and the Lakers are going to win. Okay, I I think we can comfortably say, if this is a two-point battle where neither team can shoot threes, the Lakers are going to win the series. Um, It's that simple. If we get that exact scenario, you know, everyone's picking the Lakers to win this series. My prediction is that it goes seven. Okay, and I want to say... Grizzlies at home, they should win Game 7, but Game 7 with LeBron on your team, that's hard to bet against. You know, I don't want to bet against LeBron in a Game 7, you know, where he potentially holds back all series long, and then he just goes all out in a, in a final game, in an elimination game. You know, I don't want to bet against LeBron. I'm going to say Lakers in 7. It, it, it's going to be a very interesting series. I want to move on to another series here, obviously. Sacramento Kings versus the Golden State Warriors, right? This is two teams that know each other very well from a location standpoint, because they're obviously both in California in the same division, but also from a coach's standpoint. Mike Brown, obviously, former assistant at Golden State just last season, and here he is potentially winning coach of the year, holding that amazing third seed with home court advantage. Mike Brown has obviously brought a lot of schemes from Golden State, along with the more accelerated version of his precious Princeton offense. Vivek Renadive, owner of the Kings, pretty much copying the Warriors formula in terms of roster building, uh, positional versatility, shooting, speed, you know, pace, all that good stuff. And here they are in the first round. How ironic, right? Both teams that have been awful on defense, winning games strictly offensively, both teams relatively undersized compared to a lot of the other teams. I went ahead and rewatched all four of their regular season games to get a more recent gauge of kind of what goes on in this matchup. Their first game was October 23rd. It was at Golden State, okay? It was a Warriors 130 to 125 win in a blowout all game long that quickly turned into a close score that you see here, right? You see 130 to 125, you think, wow, these two teams really went at it. Not really, you know, at the, towards the end of the game, the the Warriors missed like 12 straight shots and, you know, make no mistake, this game was not competitive, like 95% of the time. A little notable here, Steph dropped 21 points in the second quarter, okay? He went off in this game. Uh, Now, the problem with this matchup is that James Wiseman, had a really good game in this game. And that was a big advantage point for the Warriors because of size versus Sabonis. But Wiseman isn't on the Warriors anymore, right? So it was a little difficult to gauge the matchup from that game. 
You know, Andrew Wiggins had a huge game there also on both sides of the floor, which is someone the Warriors are going to need if they want to win it all this year. Uh, Clay was awful in that first matchup, you know, but he did have a rough start to the season. Even so, the Warriors still held a comfortable lead all game. Uh, the Kings lost this game plain and simply the way they lose any game. Okay, getting into a shooting contest and not winning it. <laughs> you know, they shot 25% from three in that game. And I already mentioned how poorly they defend. So if their defense doesn't show up, which is basically the case that we know is most likely going to happen, it puts a ton of pressure on their shooting, right? So in a game where they can't shoot, more likely than not, they're going to lose that game. Warriors shot 42% from three. So that's basically all you need to know about this game. You know, and it probably was an indicator as to how this series is going to go. You know, it's going to come down to who's making shots when it matters. And that's a game you don't really want to play with the Warriors who do that best. You know, Warriors are not only number one in pace. They're also number one in threes made this year. Okay, next game they played against each other, November 7th. Another one at Golden State. This was the Steph Curry pop-off game. Okay, but it was also the game where the Kings put up not only a great fight, but they had the lead pretty much all game long until one minute, 50 seconds left in the fourth quarter where the Warriors took over and stole the game. Okay, Steph dropped 17 of his 47 points in what was one of the hottest quarters he had all season. In fact, it was his fourth highest point scored in a quarter. Okay, and his highest points scored in a quarter fun fact was against the kings okay so that's a little fun fact steph erupts against these guys okay but the Kings shot evenly with the warriors from three at 35 percent in this game to golden state's 36 percent. so they shot equally um the kings basically threw their lead you know they they went cold for for long stretches and you know just basically giving up that lead. Steph Curry ices the game with free throws and the Warriors win that second matchup 116 to 113 in a Kings choke job and a Steph Curry explosion in the fourth quarter. Okay. Uh, November 13th at Sacramento. Common theme from these three games between the Warriors and Kings is the Warriors getting to an early lead, right? They get like a 10 point ish lead every first quarter they've been playing in. 39 to 26 in this case, obviously a 13 point lead. And, you know, it really looked like it was going to be a Warriors blowout from how the Warriors came to play. But there was a nice difference in the Kings this game. You know, they got much better looks. They were attacking the paint more often. That's something I wasn't seeing from the Kings, which is something people are expecting to see from the Kings. You know, Warriors aren't a good defensive team and trying to keep De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell and Malik Monk out of the paint it's proven to be difficult, you know, and Sabonis too. Sabonis too. Uh, they drove and kicked way more in this game than I saw in the last two. And time and time again, you know, they made the Warriors pay. You know, the Warriors collapsed to try to help out in the paint. Kings finding open shooters. They were knocking those down. You know, De'Aaron Fox, in my opinion, and for this series to be positive, he needs to be aggressive attacking the rim. Time and time again, you know, you see Fox, he, he, he'll, he'll attack, right? He'll put the ball down, and then he'll stop in the mid-range for turnaround jumpers, and he's been hitting those, you know? He, you know but, but again, it's, it's, it's something that's very predictable, and, you know, the, the Warriors could really take advantage of that, you know? Just knowing that he could just stop in his tracks when he puts the ball down uh, to kind of look for shooters or, or a turnaround jumper in the mid-range area. Right, so the Warriors are pretty damn good at, at predicting plays and, and and countering, you know, countering things that they see over and over again. So I gotta say this too: 
Keegan Murray, just as calm and collected as it gets. And I told you guys during the Summer League pods that I was doing when I talked about Keegan Murray, Kawhi Leonard slash Tim Duncan-esque, right, with his stoic uh, demeanor. He's just not phased by the moments. He hits big shots, whether he's contested or he's wide open. He's never bothered. And this game was just as exciting as the last one between the two. De'Aaron Fox took over in the fourth quarter. Mid-range shooting, transition baskets, any turnover the Warriors had, the Kings sprinted down for baskets. And we all know the Warriors are second to last in turnover percentage, okay? They turn the ball over. They're almost the worst team when it comes to turnovers, um, you know, and, and also known for the infinite green light, you know, when it comes to their shooting. You know, Jordan Poole, he had a pretty bad game here. It was inefficient and down the stretch, gets called for a travel on a double step back three. He takes another couple of bad shots that he's known for taking. It, it killed the, the Warriors in this game because, you know, Steph and Clay are also going to take crazy shots. So, it's a high it's it's just a high potential for awful shot selection in high volume, you know, and it can get out of hand for the Warriors in that sense, you know, and it can quickly also turn into a great offensive explosion by the Warriors. So that's why they're very hard to predict, you know. In this case, the Warriors didn't have it though. 34% from 3, the Kings shot 43% and the Kings win at 112 to 115. Last game of the season was April 7th, which was not too long ago. You know, and uh, no Fox, no Malik Monk, no Sabonis, no Kevin Herter, and it was a Warriors blowout. Okay, I don't really want to get too into that. It was a Warriors blowout. They didn't really face the Kings, um, you know, but I'm going to give you these couple of points before moving on and making my pick. Okay, if you're a Kings believer, okay, you're going to be clinging to the fact that the Kings have home court advantage, okay, while the Warriors are awful on the road, the Warriors don't defend well, okay as well as they used to, okay? They're literally ranked second in turnover percentage in the league behind only the Houston Rockets, like I said before. And their best players have a lot of miles on their legs, okay? You know, but then you, if you're a Warriors believer, there's the factors that the Warriors are going to get the benefit of the doubt for the foul calls, for the most part. I think we all expect that, right? Kings are very young. They're inexperienced. The Warriors are the defending champs. Steph and Clay are Steph and Clay. Right? There's honestly a ton of reasons people are picking the Warriors to win this series, and I'm on board with it. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say, knowing all of this and after watching their matchups in the regular season, I got the Warriors winning it in six. You know, Warriors are mentally tough. They have the best players in the series. They have the experience. They, like I said, they have the benefit of the foul calls. Most importantly, they're the defending champs, which it just deserves a point in their favor as it is. Okay, confidence is key in a playoff matchup. And Warriors have all the confidence in the world. Warriors in six. I'm moving on now. Next series here, the 4-5 matchup, okay? It's the last matchup of this pod for the West, which is Suns-Clippers, okay? Probably the most frustrating first-round series to watch from the perspective of not being able to see this play out with Paul George because he's officially ruled out until the next round, according to The Athletic. But there's plenty to be interested about, at least for this series anyways, right? Like for one, we get KD, right, in a series with Westbrook, which is always fun to watch because it reminds us all how much time flies, right? It makes people reminisce about the Harden-KD and Westbrook trio days. You get the Kawhi-KD matchup as well, which was one we were robbed of when the Raptors won the finals uh, that one year. And, you know, we get Chris Paul against his former team. 
you know, obviously playing at the tail end of his career, itching for his first championship, okay? But all in all, without Paul George, I don't see how this team gets enough from a scoring punch perspective, right? To go toe-to-toe with the Suns, I, th- I give the Clippers two games in this series. You know, maybe from a game where DeAndre Ayton doesn't show up, which is super possible. You know, maybe you get a pop-off Kawhi game. Maybe you get a pop-off Westbrook game. Somewhere in between. I say worst-case scenario for the Suns is Suns in six. <clears throat> you know, that's probably the worst scenario for that I could think. You know, if you're a Clippers fan or, or you just hate the Suns and wonder what needs to happen for the Clippers to come out of this series alive, their ability to match up at center, right, with Zubac versus Ayton is a big key, okay, to their success. Zubac doesn't really struggle to score against Ayton, right? And for a guy like Zubac that doesn't get many touches, here's what he averages uh, against the Suns in the regular season. 60% from the field. Eight points, nine rebounds, which I think could go up in a playoff series, you know, for possessions that are just slower than usual. Um, And obviously you're down Paul George, so other guys are going to have to get more touches. Kawhi's going to be Kawhi, but he's going to have to play damn near perfect in this series and hope that the players step up, right? Another positive for the Clippers, for the Clippers believers, is Chris Paul's been pretty bad against them in their regular season matchups. Uh, He played in three of the four matchups, and this is what he averaged. Nine points per game, 34.4% from the field, 20% from three. So yeah, not good. You know, the wing depth for the Clippers definitely causes problems for CP, who also... He's just at a later stage of his career. But without Paul George, the Clippers will have to figure out who they're going to leave open, right, on possessions. There's a strategy that works somewhat well for teams percentage-wise, okay, and that's leaving uh, Josh Okogie open, right, loosening up on CP3, honing in on KD and Devin Booker. But if your plan is to loosen up on CP, whether CP's been bad or not, he's one of the smartest players in the league. So... You won't be able to get away with, with any of that for long before he figures out a way to mess that up. And he'll make an adjustment in the middle of a game. He's not going to wait until the next game to figure that out, okay? Uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I strongly dislike for many reasons, and the main one being his inconsistency, he's going to benefit from plays where the Clippers are helping on KD, Devin, and CP. If he remains active and aggressive enough and does the little things, you know, but if I'm the Suns, I'm running plenty of actions, and I'm aiming them at Kawhi. I'm going to make Kawhi defend as much as possible. I want to tire him out offensively as much as I can. He's the biggest threat on the Clippers, and bringing help defenders towards Kawhi is going to be a lot easier when Russ is in the lineup because, obviously, people are going to leave him relatively open on a lot of possessions. I have the Suns in six, okay? I'm going to give Kawhi a pop-off game. I'm going to say the Suns have a struggle have an offensive maybe breakdown somehow. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to happen, but maybe they have a poor shooting night and, uh, you know, you get, like I said, you get a pop-off game from Kawhi. Maybe Westbrook has a pop-off game and those are your two games, right? Like, that's the only way I can really think about it. Uh, But that's going to do it for this Western Conference breakdown. I'm going to do part two and it's going to be obviously for the Eastern Conference. Thanks for listening to this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm going to catch you guys on part two.